Digital marketing in 2021 is so complicated. We created our Launching Simplify podcast to help entrepreneurs take their ideas and make them real businesses. We hope to inspire you that a simplified launch is possible. Peter Hurley is a headshot and portrait photographer and the founder of the Headshot Crew, which is the world's largest team of headshot and portrait photographers. Through the Headshot Crew, he mentors thousands of photographers and has created a community who work together to uplevel their photography and grow their businesses. He is dynamic and passionate about everything he does and helping others to achieve their goals. I'm a huge fan of the work he does and a member of the Headshot Crew. Welcome, Peter. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love it. I'm so glad you asked. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started in your business and what led to the work you are doing now? I am as you said, a, you know, a headshot specialist, but I, I started out doing portraiture. I actually started out in front of the camera at first, and then I kind of stepped behind the camera. But the way it happened was kind of random and kind of cool. I was training for the Olympics. I'm from the Jersey Shore, and I was uh, I graduated from college in the boat that I had always sailed. I, I won a national championship that summer, and I decided to go train for the Olympics. And then a friend of mine who worked at with Donna Karen was like, you need sponsorship. Let me get a photographer and photograph you. So she took some pictures and went back to DKNY and they sponsored me, which was cool because I had DKNY all over my sale and I got to meet Donna. It was really nice. And I actually stayed at her house out in the Hamptons. But it was it was really an amazing time in my life. But what happened after that was crazy. She She showed the pictures to a designer at Polo and said, hey, you have to come into the city and go over to Ralph Lauren and, and meet these people. And I was like, why? What's going on? They're doing an ad campaign and they want real sailors in it and they want to see you. I said, okay. Wow. So so I go into the offices on Madison Avenue and I'm like this shy like <laughs> kid back then. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, you look pretty good. I'm going to send you over to Carlson and Partners, their ad agency at the time. And I was like, so I went over there and I met this other guy and he's like, took a Polaroid. He said, all right, we'll, we'll let you know if we're, if we're interested. And long story short, I got the job and I go down to Miami and I sail in front of Bruce Weber's camera and the picture ends up going all over the world. And then the New York Times does a whole story about the sailing and the story and Polo and Kagi Simonelli Bradford was the woman who got me from uh, the, the DKMY sponsor who got me over to Ralph Lauren. And uh, the next thing I know, I fail at making the United States sailing team. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go to New York and try this modeling thing. And that's what I did. And Bruce and I became friends and he encouraged me to pick up a camera. Finally, I listened to him and it was the best move of my life because I wasn't getting better looking. And the modeling <laughs> thing wasn't making much money. So, uh, so I pick up this camera and I was like, I had, I remember when I got it, I was the model actor bartender guy. I wasn't, I could barely rub two nickels together and I was living in a fifth floor walk up and I was not happy. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I went and trained for the Olympics a second time at for Sydney. This first time was for Atlanta. I didn't make that. I went to Sydney and that time I made the U S team, but only the first guy goes to the Olympics and I didn't finish first. So I didn't get to sail in the Olympics. I trained in Sydney. But after the Sydney Olympics were over, I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, I'm not going back into a bar. I just don't want to. I hated bartending at that point. And I was like, I've got to figure out how to make another uh, living. Like, how am I going to do it? I don't, you know, I was modeling and acting and I wasn't, I was definitely not talented enough to get acting jobs on a continual basis. <laughs> so I decided to pick up the camera and that's when I started it. And then 
what happened was I was shooting models and then one of them turned to me and said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm acting. Can you take a headshot? And I was like, I think so. Just move a little closer and look in the camera. And then I realized how <laughs> difficult that was. And I was like, but I'm, I was like, I'm going to make this work. I had gone through the headshot process as an actor. The industry was really robust in the city. There were a ton of photographers doing it. And there was like a pecking order. There was like rates that they had already established that I was like following. And I would just put my nose down and I was like, this is going to happen. I'm just going to make this happen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to, I got to figure out how to make this happen. And then lo and behold, it all happened. That's, that's how it got started. Wow. It's, it's amazing to me that the failure to make the, you know, at a, a sailing team led to this amazing career. So you could see it as, oh, that's disappointing, but, but otherwise you wouldn't be where you are today with your whole life and career and everything you do, including sailing, because you got back into it. I know. Yeah. Right? I'm back into so, it now. Yeah. I come to grips with this stuff. Cause I really looked back at my life and I was like, and now I'm really into pushing my envelope and, and, and trying a bunch of different things. But I, I, um, I call myself, I just came up with this and I thought it fit because it really was all the different things in my life that, that actually went well or fell into place where after something big, big, some big failure occurred. So I call myself a 180 degree loser. I was like, <laughs> I just flip it around. And I was like, the, the times that you fail are the times that, you learn the most because when you're successful, you know, at, at doing something, then, then you kind of know how to do it. It doesn't feel like there's much growth. You, you, I mean, you worked hard to gain that little snippet of success when it happens. These little, I call, I, I just kind of think about this stuff all the time. And then you have a big failure. You put yourself out there to try something like putting myself out there for the Olympics. I put myself out there for, I set up the, you know, it's very difficult to do that. So, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting when I look at all the guys that I was with and the guys that were really good on the race course, when we all, you know, the Olympics ended, we all had to go, okay, now we got to go figure out life, this life thing that's happening and make a living. And all the guys at the top are all successful. It's like, it's like a gene or something, or it's built in, or it's in the DNA, or it's just like the way your brain fires. Like all the guys I sailed against that were really at the top of the game are all successful in whatever they moved into. And then there's some that are professional sailors still that are at the top of the game still and really, really great at what they do. But I, I always try to glean what I got out of the training for the Olympics and sailing against the best people in the world and being at that, competing at that high of a level and how that translated into me with business and my, amazing. my art, I guess. So much of success is mindset that you can set a goal and really work towards it. And especially, and just unbelievably impossible goal, like making Olympic team. And I could see why the other people, the other sailors that were at the top of the game also have that same experience of being successful in life as well as sailing. Yeah. The, I think that a lot of things that we do in life parallel other things, or you're, you're taking a lot of experience from every area of your life and putting it into where your focus is now, I guess. And, right. um, it, it's, there's these similarities that I found. So I found that, um, trying to figure out my brain and like, you know, if I'm right or left brain or whatever, I don't feel that artistic. So I never felt that, that right brain, <laughs> but left brain, like, like being on a boat, you're trying to figure out how to make it go faster through the water. So when I get on a boat and my brain's all over the place, like I work with these psychologists now and they're like, okay, you've got ADHD and I never got diagnosed or anything, but you are all over the place. I was like, well, that might account for why 
my brain goes haywire in all sorts of good directions. I just feel like yes. it's been a part yeah. of success. But that being said, there are two times when I notice I'm super hyper focused. And when I'm on a boat trying to figure out how to make it go faster through the water, it's just like everything gets quiet around me and I'm just really focused. It's amazing. And the other time is when I look through a viewfinder of a camera because I see everything. It's just like everything becomes clear and nobody can like it's just it's all there. I love those parallels and finding them in my life and trying to figure that out. Definitely. So interesting. So you have taken your offline business online and really you're such a success at it. Can you share with me a project or launch that didn't go as expected and why? Sure. I mean, I, over the course of my career, I, I decided for those, those listening, I, I've been a portrait photographer. My income was putting a human being in front of my camera and press the button and, and, and getting paid. And that was the way I'm, so if I didn't have a human being there, I wasn't making any money. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to figure something else out. So I started to look through other areas and, um, one thing I started I was that was terrible was going outside the realm of photography. I was like starting this startup silly to some guy convinced me to that I needed to like own my own like type of iTunes store. I don't know what this thing was, but he and I started to do it like I owned this iTunes store kind of thing in the in the it was like around 2008 or something. And it was like an MLM thing and it burned up and they, it got hit as a Ponzi scheme and everything, pyramid scheme. And these guys went, I don't know if they went to jail or whatever, but I was like kind of into it because it was during the recession and I was like not shooting as much. And I was like, oh, I need this. And I was doing these meetings and stuff. That was a complete mess. I can't believe that popped in there. <laughs> what I realized from it, again, 180 degree loser, right? I was like, oh my gosh, I wasn't paying attention to my clients. I was trying to sell music in an online store, which was the dumbest thing I could have thought of. And uh, and what it did was it reinvigorated my photography because I understood that I had, I, I wasn't paying attention to it anymore. And then it turned into going, wait a minute, okay, instead of going to some store stupid thing that I have no interest in whatsoever because I'm not musically inclined and I don't like me like why did I do that let me look at areas where I do things I do love and things I do know so what I did was I started a company called Hurley Pro and it was photography gear and I started yeah. selling photography gear so and and that was something that was like wow this is up my alley like this is my thing this is i'm actually producing stuff that i need this is cool it's like a labor of love you know you and people probably listening have them you're like oh my gosh i love this but i was like right. i was trying to sell this big board that's kind of heavy did you get a pro board no i'm obsessed with my with my four by eight v flats, v -flats? But i need a pro board well, the pro board is no longer, I don't think. Oh, I saw, I saw that there were some in Chicago. There were some in Chicago last week though, right? I heard that. Yeah, there's some in Detroit. There's some in Detroit. Detroit. I really want one. You can find one somewhere. Um, I'm going to have Scott try to find one for me. He's Well, that's the thing is that I was making these pro boards and they were, they're heavy. They're cumbersome. I love them. I think the photography looks great on them. So I will always, I have mine, so I will always use them, but uh, other people find them hard to assemble and stuff, but which is, it is true. They're not very easy, but I started with that. And then my brother was in finance and he was, um, he had an office in my studio. So he sees me doing all this stuff, selling these boards, right? And I'm not making, I don't know how much I'm making per board, but I'm selling the boards. And he sees my success and he's like, okay, well, why don't we 
what else, what else you want to make? And I was like, he's like, why don't I go into business with you? Why don't we make stuff? And I was like, okay, let's make stuff. And I was like, uh, I want to make, uh, I want to make lights. He's like, okay, let's make some lights. So this was probably the biggest mistake that, that I could have made. Like, first of all, I'm not a lighting manufacturer. I'm a photographer. Second of all, I don't know anything about lights. Then you've got to go to China or Korea or somewhere over there to get anywhere with lights these days. Plus I was, I was looking into LEDs, which was just at the time was just starting to come into play. Like the, the quality of them wasn't that great. And, uh, but my brother's like gung ho. He's like, let's go. So he's like, I'm going to finance it and we're going to do it together. And I was like, okay. So we dump a ton of money. I think it was like over a quarter million bucks into this lighting venture. And, and we had dumped that amount into it and we had started, we did some trade shows. People liked the lights. We hadn't sold anything yet. I was just showing them off. And finally I'm like, I'm like, this is like the quality of it putting it together and and i i was freaking out because i was like i don't like it enough for me wow. to feel like i could sell this to people and we had already spent that much money so i was like i was like okay we have to stop <laughs> we have to stop now <laughs> like we had a warehouse in california we had a team of Amazing. people that were working there it was it wasn't a team it was like i don't know three we had two guys. One guy was full-time. One guy was our full-time designer. So we had two guys full-time who, and then a warehouse, which was crazy. And I would go out there Amazing. every month and like check on everything and make sure everything was running and design the light and work on new lights, get the bulbs, test the bulbs, do this, do that, do the other thing. Anyway, so that was it. It, it I pulled the plug and my brother didn't want to. And I was like, we got to no, we see it almost, it, it was the, so my brother and I have been close our entire lives. And this was the one area that really the one moment, like I almost had, a, thought I was going to have a heart attack when I had to tell him that I was, we were, we were done with it. Like wow. I was so stressed. I had to go to the doctor. I was so, I've never felt more like stress in my body than when I had that altercation with my brother, because my brother is my, you know, he's the older brother. I'm the middle. And then I've got a younger brother and the, my older brother, Skip, he always took care of me. Like he always did. Like he was always there. He's always the older brother, the older successful brother that I lean into when I'm, when I got any issues, he's always there. So I went through this period with him. So it was really a dark time. And, and then, and then he moved out of the studio and everything. I don't know. It was like at the same time he was moving, it was just really crazy. Anyway. So let's go a hundred degrees an 80 degree loser on that. You ready? Okay. How do I spin that around? Well, now my brother and I are closer than ever. We look back at it and laugh. Uh, I I paid him off the 125 or we, we did half half halfsies on it or whatever. And I was like, okay, we got that taken care of. Let's put that behind us. And I get a meeting with a company who saw what I was doing and they're like, you know what? We love you. We like what you were doing. Why don't you do something with us? So this company, they like what I'm doing. And they're like, um, look, what do you want to make? I'm like, what do I want to make? Well, I wanted to make lights. Okay, let's make some lights. What do you want to do? Really? Anything you want. What do you want? I was like, I, I want a light that does this. Okay, we have an idea for you. We want you to design it, see what you can do. So I designed these lights with them. Wow. And we sold them. And now they're selling like crazy. And Actually, you have them. <laughs> That's what I brought to Scott's. That's what I brought to Scott's. I I wheeled them. I wheeled them over to Scott's. 
Absolutely. So, and they're amazing. They're amazing. And, and I wheel them over because they are amazing lights. And I thought, Scott, you don't have these lights? That's crazy. So, yeah. They big plug for you. Are your lights still there? Or did you take them away from? I travel with my lights. I, you know, you're like a deep into photography. He, lights? he has his own light. No, he then he bought more lights than me. He like, oh, he bought now he has four lights. I was gonna say, I mean, I know he's got the flex. No, he, as soon as I brought them over, I think in the next week he bought the lights. That's awesome. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're that's great. how yeah, you hey. know you're that's how you know you're really uh, into lighting into, as a photographer is when you drag your lights everywhere. That's awesome. I love it. I love that oh. you drag them. But isn't that funny that it, it is what an amazing story. Loser. Yeah. What's well, amazing how you can turn that shutting down a business in, and then that allows like closing one door allows another to really open in a way that you never would expect it. I so. was so lucky. I mean, the president of that company, when she did the meet, we had that meeting. I go back to it in my brain to this day, how important that was. You know, it's like, it's amazing because now I have such a good relationship with them. I actually just, I'm racking my brain to make new products with them. And it's just hard to come up with something that's, that's, you know, but, but I'm sure. I'm sure you will. I'm I'm sure sure I'll come up with something. So I don't know if this is the question you, you, if you already answered this question, but can you share with me a project or launch that, that was a success and what made it a success? I know we've sure. kind of been talking about this the whole time. Sure. I mean, I think I, mostly about your membership. Like your, I would say that, I, yeah. I mean, did you expect your membership to be your headshot crew to be how many people do you have in it now? We have 17, that almost 18,000 photographers in it right now. 18,000. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And in the subscription service, we have 1,500. Can you tell me a little bit about what made that success? Did you know that was going to be a success? How did you start that? I had no clue, but I was in this mode of, um, uh, first of all, I didn't know that I could teach anybody anything. Like I had been a sailing instructor in my life, but that's about it. I had never taught photography and I'm self-taught, so I don't even know what the rules are. So I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to listen to me, but let's do it. <laughs> so what actually happened is that my web designer, who was just designing my photography website, we we were really close friends and I was shooting a bunch and I, it basically started like this. Somebody would call the studio and they'd say, I want a headshot. And then I'd say, okay, it's a thousand dollars. And I hear click and I'd be like, oh my gosh, wow. I need a headshot, but I can't help them because I'm too expensive. What if I bring, what if I teach wow. a photographer to do what I do? They actually charge like a third of me. I think we started at like 375 was the price for the the photographer that I trained. So I brought a photographer in, trained them, let them shoot those people. And then we, st- I started to have associates. And then one of them was like, I want to go to LA and open up there. And I was like, well, I've always wanted a studio in LA. Let's open a studio in LA. So I go to LA, open a studio and him shooting there and another one shooting in New York and it was working. And I was like, wait a minute, why can't I do this globally? Like my web designer was like, why don't we just make a website where you coach the photographers how to do what you do. And then eventually we can just give them jobs. And I was like, that would be awesome. And this was in like 2008 when I opened the studio in LA. So we started talking about it in 2007, I think, because I was doing it in New York in 2007. And that's when it started. And then we didn't launch the site until I think we 2011, we we launched, I believe. So it took four years of just talking about it and then him building it and then us launching it in 2011. And by then I had gained enough momentum 
I don't know. I just had, it was crazy when YouTube back then I did this one YouTube video and it went viral and it got me on like good morning America and stuff. And then all these photographers started to look at what I did. And then people are like, Oh, headshots. And it just went crazy. And I've been very fortunate because I, I fell in love with teaching and um, it just, it's like my favorite thing to do to see somebody's eyes widen and, and then them get a good picture that you kind of taught them how to do it, kind of got them going or gave them some advice that they just were like, Whoa, I'm going to use this the rest of my career. That's cool. So I really, I love doing it. And, and me, I learn from my students as well. So one of my most important things is, is that I continue shooting because the shooting now I shoot to try to dig into what's happening that day and then teach it, which is really cool. But yeah, I have my goal for that. We have 1500 members now. I want to grow, continue to grow that. I'm continually working on it. We're expanding in every direction. I ended up doing a, um, a conference with it. We called it Headshot Mania. So we did Headshot Mania 1 and then we did Headshot Mania 2. So who knows if there'll be a Headshot Mania 3. I don't know with the, unless the events come back, maybe we'll do one. We'll see. Yeah, we're global. I have associates now in every corner of the globe and there's 150 of them on the site. So 10% of the people in the coaching program have made it to the associate level which means wow. that they're really good and they got a, uh, they're vetted. I basically critiqued a portfolio and said that they, they have to have 15 shots in it that I think are really amazing and that match in exposure and color. And they're very talented individuals. So, and I've got a bunch here in New York too, which is nice. I think that the teaching really combined your photography with your acting really allowed you to do, be the perfect person to step into that role. That's so, so funny. Cause it's true. Like I was so, a terrible actor, but I'm very good at being myself. Yes. But I think your acting did your on camera experience really does help you to convey your knowledge that you have about photography. No, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I think I look back at my acting experience and I was, like I said, I'm, I was just, my acting coaches said I was amazing. And then I would get into an audition and I'd be all nervous and shaking and my face would shake and I can't say the words. And I just like, my whole body was like a mess. I was just too nervous. I didn't have any confidence in my acting ability, but again, 180 degree loser. I didn't, I did, I did do some cool jobs. I did this scene with Sandra Bullock and, um, Hugh Grant in the polo store. I got it because I was a polo model and it was cool. awesome. So I was doing it with them and I was so psyched. It was really cool. And we had this, this, I still get checks for that. It's crazy. Oh my God. That's amazing. It was that's 2003, 2000, maybe 2001 when I did that. I still get checks. It's crazy. But, um, but you're right. The day that I knew I wasn't meant for acting, I was on the set of Guiding Light. I think it was Guiding <laughs> I think it was Guiding Light or as the world turned. I don't know. One of those, it was CBS. I think it was Guiding Light. They had me on, I was doing soaps, but I was always like a background actor or something. So they had me on and I was supposed to be a double for this guy. And in the scene, I get killed or something, or I, I don't know what happens. I forget. But um, I go in and I do the scene and nobody talks to me. Like I'd never worked on that set before. So I felt very out of place. And they they did it like a well-oiled machine. So when the, when the guest stars would come in or the extras or whatever, I was like a glorified extra, I guess. They just don't tell you anything. So I didn't know what was going on. So they run through the scene and we did the rehearsals. And then nobody was talking to me and they stopped. And I was like, oh, I guess we shot. I thought we shot the scene, but they were only rehearsing. So I left and I got on the bus to go back home. I'm sitting. No way. My agent calls me and goes, hey, where are you? 
And I was like, on the bus. And they're like, what, well, you left? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I left. I was done. No, they were just rehearsing. They didn't record it yet. I was like, should I go back? And they, they said, no, they're so upset with you. Don't go back there. <laughs> like, like, okay, this is a sign. I'm done. That was it. And that was my last acting job. That was the 180 degree. Like I used all those acting, all those years of studying acting where I completely sucked. Now I use it on stage and I use it um, when I'm teaching. And yeah, it's it's been a huge help in speaking. I could have never done it without that acting experience. No way, no how. For sure. And sometimes listening to that voice inside of you that this is not for me, I need to be doing something else is so, yeah. so key to finding kind of your place in the world and where you can really be amazing. It's so crazy. It's so crazy because when you're in it, you have no idea what's going on. And when you look back, you're like, oh, here's what happened. Yeah. So like you were saying, like, I mean, like today, like I have no idea what's going on today. I'm trying to do stuff, but we don't know what's in five years. I'll tell you what yeah, went on today. So you know? Can you tell me about a current project you're working on? You must, I know you have things happening all the time and ideas. And I have an amazing idea, which I love. I'm working with, so I have incredible clients and, and, um, extremely talented people that come in the studio. And one of them has been coming to me for years and her name's Evie Pomporis. And she's a, she was a former secret service agent, which I didn't know when she was in the secret service, when I first started shooting her like way back when, and she was like protecting Obama at the time, but she got out of it and wanted to get into acting, which everybody thought she was crazy because she had like the best job, but she did it. And she wrote a book called becoming bulletproof. And she talks about inner confidence and how, to live fearlessly in this, this type of thing. She says you have to live through fear. I don't, I, I have to actually uh, read the book or get the audiobook because I'm terrible at reading. I got to listen to her and see what, see what she says. But anyway, the point is, is that she's like, it's amazing what you do. She told me because she was a polygraph examiner and with her husband. So they came in here and I shot her and she's like, you're doing things to get stuff out of me that we would do in that situation, the way we talk to people with the polygraph and, and she's like, they train people to do that. And you're doing it on your own intuitively. And I was like, yeah, I am. I am doing that. Like my job for those, I did a TEDx talk on called bridging the self-acceptance gap. So what happens is everybody has a relationship with their appearance and it changes over the course of our lives. So I'm like, you know, I'm pretty happy with my appearance right now. I don't think I was as happy when I was modeling because I was looking at all these good looking guys all the time. I feel better now. I'm 50. I'm still ripped up. I feel good. Right. You know, but people feel different over the course of their lives with the aging process. Maybe you're out of shape or whatever, but they still need their picture taken. So they come and get in front of my camera. It's like ripping a bandaid off, you know, and they're like, Oh geez, I got to go through this now. And they come in and they're like, Oh, this is, let's just get it over with. I didn't get enough sleep last night. You're going to have to retouch the bags under my eyes. And it's a bad hair day because it was too humid outside. And this is a mess, but let's just get it done. And that's the way they come. I've never had anybody walk in and go, Peter, this is your lucky day. My skin's flawless. <laughs> I got enough sleep and I look fabulous today. Just press the button. It's going to be perfect. You know, the people just don't do that. So we live in this fault based society. So what happens is, when we get in front of a camera, so Evie works on the internal portion of what you're going through internally and how to get that out to the external. And what I do is I read the external uh, signs or cues that you're giving that that really don't, it gives away everything that's going on in your brain. 
So you can see the face, what it does. And I can see when the person's thinking that their face is doing one thing when it's doing another. And I can see when they actually start to behave like themselves again, not themselves in front of a camera. So we're kind of packaging this and we're talking about, we're doing workshops. We're doing, we've done zoom calls where we teach people how to look better on zoom because it's, it's prevalent these days. So I talk about lighting and, and, the energy they're giving to the camera, the side of their face that they sit towards when they give their face to the camera, camera height, the, what the background looks like, like all this stuff to, to, so that you look pro. Like some people, you've seen these people, they go in a room and they put their computer down and then the, the, the screen stares right up the Adam and it's too low. And they're like looking right up. It's like nostril light is central. And, uh, and then they put a, spotlight over their head and it's like there's a beacon of light bouncing off their head and their eyes are dark it's like i don't know everything wrong and if they just knew that what an amazing thing that you're solving this problem that is a huge problem as the world went online it's amazing so plus it's very interesting work for me so it it corresponds very directly with my photography it takes it's something that it's it's very intuitive and it takes a lot of practice and a lot of like i'm trying to figure out how to convey what i do to other photographers which i found is very difficult to do because it's in my brain and and verbalizing it and then teaching it is so crazy but it's the most rewarding work for me right now so i decided that this is what i'm doing so what i do is i don't tell anybody i'm doing this when they walk in my studio but i am actually not like I'm, I don't know, I'm working with their energy and stuff like that. And I'm, every move I make is calculated based on their, the energy that I get from my subject. So is there a name for this? Is there a name or is it in the startup phase? We're working on the name. So the name that we came up with, that we started with was CYE Solutions, which was called, we were basing it on creating your existence. So basically it's the way you exist. I kind of have grown immensely over the course of my life. I had a real issue with confidence and people think I'm completely extroverted, but all my life I've been kind of introverted till I'd get up on stage or I get a camera in my hand. The camera gives me power or something. And then I go bonkers and I go, but if you put me in a, in a dinner party situation where I don't know anybody and I'm not like the same, I don't know. I had a, a photographer was talking about that, about me. I met him at his uh, I got invited to his house. I didn't know him. And there were like 20 photographers there. I didn't know anybody. And I, he's like, he was totally introverted. And I was like, you're right. I was, I am, I am like that. So interesting. It's so weird. So weird because I'm like this. Yeah. Like, we, don't, just, we don't know that introverted you know, person for sure. I so think. it's kind of creating your existence. And I have some stories around it, but then we were like, we're working on different names. So we found it's a little bit more like your cognitive IQ I think is what we're working. This is the first time I've said that outside of uh, us working together. So that's kind of interesting. We're playing with that idea. It's kind of a awareness in your brain of what your thoughts are doing to affect your facial expressions and what another person picks up because of that process. And that's basically what it is. Yeah. It's interesting to take the work you do and bring it kind of outside of take it outside of photographers because everyone's online. So they're having to basically be a photographer. The photography stimulated all of this. It was so cool. Anything else you want to share with photographers or entrepreneurs? You know, 
photographers in general were artists. So I think that you have to believe in your own art and, and then it's got to be good. And then if you do are you are running your own business as a freelance artist, then you've got to get other source of income going besides just putting somebody in front of your camera. If you're a portrait artist or, I mean, unless you're busy enough and, and making enough money to make a living and be happy with the amount of money that you're making, that's fine. I guess as a freelance artist, you're just, you just have no choice, but to call yourself an entrepreneur because you can't just have that one thing going on. It just doesn't work that way. Yes. It's never going to be enough unless you're happy, unless you're content. And then, you know, and if you live within a means and you cover that and you're happy, then, I mean, who says that you need more money to be happy? Money doesn't make you happy. It just makes you comfortable, right? So if you want to be more comfortable, be more entrepreneurial. If you want to be happy and you're happy and that's your life, you stay like that. I mean, I, I don't know. who Who's it to say for each each individual? That's great advice for people to have. Yeah. I think the most important thing is that you're doing something you love, period, and that it drives you like it lights a fire under your butt. And if you have that, you're way better off than 99% of the population anyway that are just doing their nine to fives and not inspired by anything. So if you have the fire, just go for it. To see Peter Hurley's work, visit peterhurley.com. And if you are a photographer and want to learn more about his online coaching, visit headshotcrew.com. To get future episodes, click subscribe. And if you need help building your brand and launching your dream business, visit clickbranding.com to grab our free trainings.